All of you that have taken the sacred vows of the bread reading program, beware. She will find you. Sister Barb has a unique set of skills. <laughs> yeah, makes Amen. She will find you. There, uh, immediately after service, there is a NAYC meeting. This is going to be a very brief meeting. I don't have official uh, numbers, uh, but for students and parents of students that are interested in going to NAYC that will be attending with us, uh, please just meet me over here in this general area right after service, and we'll go over some, some raw numbers. Um, and I'll have a handout for you on Wednesday that'll hopefully be more um, foundational, rock-solid numbers. But amen. How many of you are excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. I am. I am very excited. I'm uh, very excited for all of... Uh, I'm just so glad to be in the house of the Lord. It's been a couple weeks since I've been uh, back here, back home, and I miss each and every one of you so very much. There's no place I'd rather be. I feel like truly that this is one of the greatest churches in North America. And I look across and I see all these fantastic, beautiful people. And I love each and every one of you. It's so good to be home. So good to be worshiping the Lord with you. I know everywhere we go, there is the family of God. But there's just something like that, that home, home to the second power, I guess you could say. But uh, amen. I want to read a scripture for us real quick. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you all the thanks, Jesus. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for our hearts and minds being open to receive what you have in store for us this morning, Lord. Speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. This is a little off topic, but... I, I wanted to share this nonetheless. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but I, was, I recently heard about an interview uh, that was conducted by an American news outlet. Um, and this was actually several years ago, quite a few years ago. Back in the late 80s, it was conducted, and uh, as Bishop and Elder Sister Arthur will know, China was opening up in the 80s and 90s, and things were changing, policies were changing, and there was some, uh, there was a spirit of liberation, mild liberation from uh, some of the uh, communist creeds. And so as a result, a, a delegation of, of Christian ministers that had previously been underground, part of underground churches, um, were allowed to surface and they came to the States and uh, they toured a lot of the evangelical churches in the States in the late 80s and early 90s. And the interview was conducted and in the process, the the interviewer asked the head of this delegation, he said, uh, what did you find most interesting uh, or most spectacular about the churches in North America? And without hesitation, he said, the delegation leader, the, the, uh, this minister from China, he responded, it's incredible how much this, the church in North America can do without God. 
And here in 2021 now as it is, I can tell you nothing has changed. In fact, it's probably gotten worse since the late 1980s. We're in a, uh, a tumultuous time as it were. The scripture says in Jeremiah, he says the, the people, have, they've forgotten how to blush. We live in an incredible day and age. I was just telling the young people, and I say all that to say this, I was telling the young people this morning, God has absolutely no commitment, absolutely no commitment to talent. God's only commitment is to character, to character, to strength of character. And in in this day and age, what we as a church, what we as a body, what we as individuals have needed now more so than ever is to have godly character upon our lives. Godly character on our lives. I just wanted to share that with you. But back to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. I want to speak this morning just very briefly. I know uh, we've kind of changed up the service format. And I asked the young people this morning. They said they liked it very much. Hopefully you are enjoying the new service format as well. I'm excited for what God is doing in 2021 during this month of prayer. Uh, I look around. I'm so thankful and honored to serve alongside so many great ministers this church is absolutely loaded. We got the A team. Boom. Amen. Well, man, what, what, what happened? We were popping during worship, and now all y'all just disappeared on me. Thank you for the one courtesy hand clap. God bless each and every one of you. But I want to preach on this simple subject, being stewards of God's will. Stewards of God's will. How many of us here in the room, we know that the the greatest problems that we face are not a result of the enemy. The greatest problems that we face are a result of ourselves, or probably more aptly, the choices that we make and the multiplicity of faults and failures in those choices. I think each and every one of us from young to old can look back on our life and we can analyze ourselves and we can pinpoint. Some of us can even pinpoint specific decisions that completely change the trajectory of our entire lives. Some of those decisions were good and some of those decisions were not so good. But each one of us has decisions that we have made and we can look back and we can say, that was a good one and that was not so good one. And I was reminded as I was studying, you know, a lot of this message, I want to give honor where honor is due. We have a tremendous senior pastor. He is just absolutely incredible, amazing. This is my favorite part because then I get to watch him sit over in in the big chair and get squeamish because he doesn't like compliments, and it's so much fun for me. Uh, But he truly is an amazing man of God. He's a leader, and I look up to him. I'm I'm partial because he's my father, but he is a great man of God, and I followed from him for almost 30 years, and I can tell you he is a genuine Christian. But he uh, and Hobart, uh, was, we were blessed with the opportunity to attend my great uncle's funeral. He's a tremendous man of God himself. But he preached on Thursday night, and let me tell you, he shredded it up. Shredded. And uh, I would encourage you to hunt down the live stream of that sermon in Hobart, Indiana, Tremendous word, but I have, I've, don't, maybe watch in a few weeks when you've kind of forgotten some of my finer points, because you'll, you might recognize some of them from his message. I, I tell, I joke around, I tell Winston all the time, he'll call me up, and he'll, he'll be preaching to me a little bit, and I say, you better be careful, I might get to preach before you, I'm going to steal every last thing you just said. Bye. 
I tell them all the time, I tease them, I say, God never called me to be original. He called me to be effective. I, 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 heard, a, I heard a preacher one time say, I heard of a preacher say one time, he said, I'm going to be original or nothing. And he was both. <laughs> Your greatest problems do not stem from the enemy. Your greatest problems stem from yourself, or more aptly, the choices that you make. And in thinking about this and meditating on this, I was reminded of a personal prophecy. I don't put too much stock in personal prophecy, but this one uh, seemed fairly validated by Scripture. I was in Bible college in the UK at the time, and a, a woman came up to me and she said, Jesse, I feel impressed to tell you that you're going to leave a stain on the earth. And I think she meant that in a very positive way, a very uplifting way. But that personal prophecy has kind of haunted me <laughs> because that can go a lot of ways. Uh, two, specifically, it can either be a beautiful stain, uh, not that I've ever encountered a beautiful stain, uh, or it can be a very bad one. But I think that personal prophecy, the reason I'm willing to accept that one is because I think that message is applicable for anyone that walks with God. We are here to indelibly make a stain on the earth. And the nature of that stain is entirely up to us. That can be something that we look back on our lives at the end of our times and we say, I made an impact for the kingdom. Yes, I have a few small regrets, but I did work for the kingdom. Or you can look back at your life and you can recognize that your life was one big, not so good stain. I want to talk to us regarding being stewards of God's will. And to do that, we're going to analyze two choices, two judgments, and two different responses from two men that were very close. In life, you can really only make two choices. You can either birth righteousness or you can birth unrighteousness. At the end of the day, virtually everything you do can be categorized. I'm not talking about brushing your teeth. Uh, but as in the first book of Jesse, chapter 1, verse 1, cleanliness is next to godliness. So that would still probably be a righteous decision to brush your teeth. But almost every decision you make can be categorized as either righteous or unrighteous. And you never truly know the extent of the impact. Something was recently conveyed uh, to a group of ministers in a meeting, actually just this past week, now that I think of it. And... An elder of the faith, he conveyed a very profound, very thought-provoking concept to us. And that was, have you ever considered why we are judged at the end of time instead of the end of our time? Why are you judged at the end of all time rather than simply at the end of your time? And the reason for that is, is because when you are judged at the end of time, you will not only be judged on the choices that you have made, but you will be judged on the impact that those choices had. Who knows how many generations, who knows how many hundreds of years. We see decisions in scripture that have reached out for thousands of years. Decisions that have changed the course of history. And the individuals that were making those decisions, they had absolutely no idea how far-reaching their choice would be. But at the end of time, when you stand before the great white throne, the Lord will take into account 
not only your choices, but how your choices impacted the lives of hundreds and possibly thousands of people. You say, I don't know if my choices could ever affect thousands of people. I thought that too until I met my wife's family. My wife has 47, yes, read them and weep, baby, 47 first cousins on her mother's side. I always wondered how the Israelites were able to go from like 40, 50 people going into Egypt to coming out like 2 million people. I'll tell you how. They were half Mexican. That's how. It's, it's insane, but... <laughs> Never mind, I'm not, I'm, we're, we're going we're gonna to jump off someplace else. I absolutely, for the record, I absolutely love my wife's family. They're a tremendous group of people, and, and I can honestly say they, they uh, I, can't, I can't make a claim to the uh, Crockett quote, but they, have, they stick together, they are a strong family, and uh, my wife's grandmother, she is a woman of tremendous faith, and as a result, I believe 10 or 11 out of her 12 Children's uh, children, excuse me, and dozens and dozens of her grandchildren are serving the Lord, and I don't. I, I think she has great, great, possibly great, great, great grandchildren, and many of which are also serving the Lord um, to to the hundredth degree. Um, but I am. Your choices can have a far-reaching impact. Far more than you can probably ever possibly imagine. And um, Israel as a whole, they made some serious choices. And I, I know Pastor has kind of um, bragged on the Crockett clan, and it's very true that it's a tremendous group of people. Um, and that's not to say they didn't have problems. I'm sure they had their fair share of problems. But uh, I, I'm sure each and every one of us can look at our, our respective families and say, yep. There's been some serious problems. But I can tell you right now, Israel had some serious problems. Major, major problems. And uh, I want to, let's review two of those decisions, two of those choices, two choices that forever changed the course of history. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 37 and I'll read just very briefly. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. These are, this is one of the offspring of Lot. Bore to him, uh, to put it as gently as possible, Moab uh, was an inbred child. The, he was the product of an incestuous, incestuous relationship between a uh, a father and his daughter. It doesn't get much more jacked up than that, friend. And uh, this offspring would go on to be throughout Scripture one of Israel's greatest enemies. A thorn in their side. Let's read another Scripture. Genesis chapter 36, verses 8 through 12. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom, and these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Adah, his wife, the wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Beshemeth, 
the wife of Esau, and the sons of Eliphaz were Taman, Omar, Zephah, and Gatam, and Kenaz. And Timnah was the concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son. And she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. Amalek was the father of the Amalekites, another sworn enemy of Israel. You have two major groups of people that come from Israel's own offspring that were regarded throughout Scripture and in history as absolute and total mortal enemies of Israel. They would kill each other at all costs. Two choices. The extent of the choices made in these brief scriptures, you have five, six scriptures here that embody two major history-changing decisions just like that. Now let's read about two judgments. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1 through 7. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken now unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them into lame 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, go depart. Get ye down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye shewed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto thou comest to Shur. That is over against Egypt. Now this is a, this is a violent portion of scripture. Very violent. And uh, I've often considered or wondered, you know, why? Why so, so brutal? But you have to understand how deeply passionate, how completely radicalized these people, the Amalekites, were about destroying Israel and destroying its source of power. They truly believed that they could in destroying Israel, could destroy God. They absolutely hated everything about the Israelites. And they were known far and wide, from Egypt to Mesopotamia, history tells us, as being sorcerers and magicians. So much so that they were famed abroad for being able to magically transform themselves into animals to disguise themselves so that they would not be found which is why historians believe God even commanded them to kill the livestock. He said, okay, you think you got magic? I'll solve that. You think you can hide out among the livestock? I'll solve that. 
And everybody at the time would have known that. And so God said, kill it all. Now let's, that was the judgment placed upon the Amalekites. Let's read about the judgment placed upon Moab. And in order to do that, we need to go all the way back to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. See, Moab had, they had a long-standing relationship. They had attacked, uh, they were like the Amalekites. They had been at war with Israel pretty much since they came out of Egypt. And at uh, this particular point in history, the king of Moab had some kind of working relationship with David because he had allowed, he, he had, uh, he had granted David's mother and father asylum in the nation of Moab, not because he liked David, but because he hated Saul. And so there was kind of a, a mild peace treaty there. But now David was the king, and they were back at each other's throats. But to understand this, we need, let's go all the way back to uh, Numbers chapter 24. We'll start with verse 12. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers, which thou sentest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now, behold, I go unto my people. Come, therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. And he took up his parable, and he said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and the scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Powerful portion of scripture. Balaam wasn't worth two plug nickels, but he got one thing right. He did get the prophecies of the Lord right, and he could only speak what the Lord gave to him. I want to give us now, we've seen two choices, we've seen two prophecies, both of them of doom. I hope this is not too heavy this Sunday morning, but I want to convey something to you. And then I want to show us two responses, two different responses. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 8 through 9. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul... And the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. Second Samuel chapter eight, verse one through two. And after this. 
It came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them. And David, David took Methgamah out of the hand of the Philistines. And he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. We see two choices that led to some pretty incredible things in history. We see two prophecies of God casting divine judgment against the groups of people that had been a product of those choices. And then we see two responses. Two responses to the prophecies. And I find it very interesting that those two responses by two different men are actually very similar. They're very similar in one respect. And that is the fact that God in both prophecies demanded nothing less than complete and total and utter annihilation. And in both cases, both men showed some degree of mercy. And the question must be asked, If they both showed mercy, why was Saul deemed unfit to rule and David was honored? What is the missing piece in this equation? See, you might, you might say, well, you know, David lined him up and he chose at random. Two-thirds he automatically killed and he left one-third alive. And that might not seem like much, much mercy, but if you study antiquity and you know anything about conquering armies, anything less than complete and total annihilation through mass genocide was considered mercy. If your children, if your women, if your livestock were spared, if even one man was spared, that was considered mercy. Both of these men expressed some degree of mercy, yet in 1 Samuel Chapter 15, verse 10 through 11. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Yet in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6, just a couple of scriptures later, when it's talking about David, and the Lord Preserved David whithsoever he went. To me, I, I found that very interesting. And Pat, like I said, Pastor taught an incredible uh, lesson in Hobart this past Thursday. And the, the uh, key components of the, that lesson were regarding wisdom and influence. And I, I really do want someone to remind me. I, I want to post that on Facebook. It was so uh, tremendous. I'll share it so that you can all... A watch of it. And some of that is what inspired me in this message uh, regarding a specific thought I had been meditating on. But when you obtain wisdom, not humanistic, not analytical or memory-based knowledge, but when you obtain godly wisdom, you obtain something truly supernatural. I was just, again, I was referencing, I was just talking to the young people this morning about people with just raw talent. But I believe Solomon was granted wisdom 
on a level far beyond what most people will ever see. And as a result, he had the keys, he had an understanding to specific supernatural insights that perhaps maybe some of us even today don't understand. He had wisdom, not the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is in fact and indeed supernatural. You receive supernatural insight and revelation. And in doing so, you become a steward of the will of God. Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able, and this is the NIV, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you obtain the supernatural wisdom of God through revelation and insight, you begin, if you mature in Christ as you're supposed to, if you continue steadfastly in prayer, reading the word, meditation of the word, and fasting, you will grow and you will develop a maturity that grants you the ability to test and approve the will of God. Not of your own ability. Not of your own skill. But by the supernatural wisdom that has been granted to you. Numbers 24 and 1 Samuel chapter 15 were very conclusive in their respective judgments. Numbers says, and I quote, crush the skull of every son of Sheth. Meaning, that's not, a, that's not a proper name. Sheth is used only a couple times in its scripture, and it is used to, it simply means the sons of tumult or the sons of turmoil. God is explicit. I want you to crush the skull of every single one of them. And then again, we see in 1 Samuel 15, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. Spare none. Spare nothing. So why did God view two choices that were very similar differently? 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 teaches us that great is the mystery of godliness. God's mystery, and as Bishop has conveyed to me, his secret ambitions are not fathomable in the minds of mortal men. But if you seek after God... If you develop a relationship with Him, if you become intimate with the Spirit of God, He will give you, He will grant you wisdom. And wisdom will in turn make you into a steward of the will of God. The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. As you mature in Christ. You may find or you may have found already that a lot of times what God doesn't say is just as important as what God does say. What he doesn't say sometimes has just as much weight and gravity as what he does say. And the wisdom of God will grant you the ability to test 
It's not an ability that you can develop of just human reasoning, the gathering of knowledge, sheer genius of intellect. It is something that has to be divinely granted to you. And it is something that each and every one of us tap into when we receive the Holy Ghost. We are born again and we take on a new name and God grafts something into us, something supernatural. He places a part of himself inside of you. And when you receive that, when you receive that, you, I, I don't think we truly realize the type of authority. Authority equates to power. I don't think we realize the type of authority that we possess. The second God places his stamp of approval on us. Not because we were worthy, but because he has made us worthy. Not because we are holy, but because he is holy. Are you all with me today? I would like to submit that the only difference between Saul and David was the only difference that's ever mattered. David simply had a relationship with God. And relationship breeds trust. And trust is based on truth. And truth is the cornerstone of wisdom. And wisdom grants its user authority. And authority equates to power. And true power in its rawest form, its completely unadulterated and purest form, is simply none other than this. The ability to test and discern and understand the perfect will of God. We do not understand all the ramifications why can two men make the same choice and one is honored and one is not? The simply, just simply having a relationship with God, he sees the end from the beginning and he can look into time and he can approve something because he knows every single vein, every single possibility, every single equation to what could equal such and such hundreds and thousands of years down the line. And the only thing that will determine the difference between mediocrity and greatness in the realm of spirituality is simply having a relationship with Him. Because we of ourselves cannot understand any of this. But when we tap in to the knowledge and the wisdom that only God can grant, we become stewards of His will. And in doing so, we obtain power and authority that is Paralleled by none. <laughs> Ephesians 5 and 15. See then, I pastor taught on this and I wanted so, so much to share with you. It's completely profound. He could probably do it about 100 times better than I could. But I want to share with you, if, in case you do not go listen to his recording. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Not as fools, but as wise. And here's the kicker, a scripture that I've never totally understood. Probably still do not completely understand, but I have more insight now. Verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And that word redeeming, literally meaning to buy back. Literally meaning to buy back the time. 
the one thing that we are all quickly running out of, the most valuable asset each and every one of us have in this room, not your 401k, not your Roth IRA, not your, your, your equity stashed up in multiple houses or whatever assets you have. No, time. The relationship that you build with God develops and grants you wisdom. And wisdom is authority. And authority is power. And it will enable you. It will literally enable you. ask how, but that still doesn't make sense. How was he able to make the, the same decision? And God judged one differently from the other. When you have the supernatural power and authority of God, when it grants you the wisdom that only God can grant, you can literally go back in and reset time, not just for yourself, but the people that you have rule over. God will grant you super... I, I think I'm going over somebody's head. I, I don't think you're tapping into what I'm saying. I'm saying when you get the Holy Ghost, when you are born again, and you begin to walk with God, the people that you are over and yourself, you have made choices, you have made decisions, but through the power of prayer and supernatural wisdom that only God can afford, you can go back in time and you can reset the clock and you can say, Lord, I know that's what you said, but I'm, I'm praying on my behalf and the behalf of those that are behind me and come after me. Please allow me to turn back the time. Please allow me to reverse the consequences of those decisions that I have made and they have made and those that come after me will make and you are afforded supernatural authority to turn back time I walked out of that after pastor dropped that nuke on me man I walked out of there Dun, 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 dun. I traveled time before anybody. If you've been born again, you are a time traveler. You are a time traveler. I told the young, I, I keep saying this, this is going to get redundant, but I was telling the young people this morning, it was our choices. I know we like to look back in time and say it was the Jews or the Romans, they killed Jesus. No, Jesus didn't just die for the mistakes and the sins that had already been committed. He died for all sins that would ever be committed. And so every time you lied, you stole, you cheated, you did something wrong, that was the sin that crucified Jesus. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. Yeah, they were accessories to us. But it was really just our decisions. But when Jesus came and he died, he also did something supernatural. He said, I'm going up, but not many days hence. I'm sending a comforter. And when you're filled with that spirit, you have the ability to not just go back the 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life. You have the ability to go back 2,000 years and he say, I died so that you could be forgiven. I died so that you might have life and that more abundantly. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you thought. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what choices you've made. I'm giving you the opportunity through wisdom and through divine power and by my spirit to go back in time and redeem it because the days are evil. Amen, amen. 
We have supernatural authority beyond our wildest dreams. And we have absolutely no idea what we're sitting on. It's like an infant. When you hold an infant, they might be, they recognize their mother and possibly their father, maybe by smell or by the sound of their, your voice. But they really don't understand who's holding them. I feel like sometimes we're a babe and we don't understand who's holding us. We don't realize that we're just these teeny tiny insignificant things. But the, the person that is holding us has infinite and incomparable power. The ability to do anything. That's the kind of power that we're sitting on. And I want to come here this morning to tell us that for the most part, it is completely untapped. But if we will step into the perfect will of God and begin to understand the perfect will of God, not through our own ability, but through prayer. That's why we're really praying this month. We need to draw closer to God. We need to understand His will. We need to understand His purpose for our lives, for this church for the kingdom, for this community, for lost souls. And when we tap into that power and the authority, we are given wisdom. And we become stewards of the will of God. If you want all the blessings that follow wisdom, long life, wealth, respect, honor, those are things that follow Wisdom. You need to develop a relationship with God. And when you become a steward of His will, those things will follow. Those things will follow. When you are a steward of the will of God, you'll be able to lay all your problems down. Young men, can I borrow all of you? This is, what, this is what David did. You guys, just the same way that you're, you're uh, standing, just come out here, turn around, face the audience, and, and lay down. Lay down on your, you can lay down on your backs, all right, whatever you want to do. This is literally what David did. He conquered the people. And he took every man of war, and he said, lay down. He made them all to lay down on the ground. And all he did was take a rope. I wish I had a rope. I couldn't find one this morning. Imaginary. Oh, bada boom, bada bing. Asking you shall receive. Okay. Yeah, we'll tie some of these. I'll use my Boy Scout skills here real quick. I was in the Boy Scouts for all of, I don't know, six months before, before they realized that they were never going to make a good knot tire out of me. wife laughs at me because I kid you not I don't know what I don't know we were just talking about this pastor and I you never forget your kindergarten teacher mine her name was Miss Romano she was a wonderful woman I absolutely loved her and adored her but I don't know what she did but she messed me up for life the way she taught me how to tie my shoes I, I seriously I tie my shoes I know this is this you probably don't care, but I tie my shoes and I it like takes me forever to get the little bunny through the little tunnel or Anyway, it's a knot tying thing. If you don't know the struggle, you just don't know. But he took, this, he took this cord and he stretched it out. 
He stretched it out all over all of his opponents that he had just beat in combat. And he said, the, the, first, the first guy or the first third of everyone that this rope touches, congratulations, you get to live. As for the rest of you unfortunate saps, off with their heads. And if you were blessed enough to be on the outside because the rope wasn't long enough, I guess maybe you got to live too. I don't know. You might want to go play the lotto after that one. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But that is exactly how David determined who would live and who would die. Simply placing a cord over his enemies. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I, I uh, appreciate all that you do. Um, I won't bring them back, though, because all they want to do is lay down on the job. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a dad joke. I'm developing those. But as time goes on, and as life unfolds and you mature in Christ, you're going to come to a place in time where all your problems will culminate in one great event. And when you have the wisdom of God on your life, you'll literally just be able to toss a rope. And you'll say, these ones, I'm going to make these my servants. They're subject to me. They're going to serve me in all that I do. And these ones, they've got to go. And in the blink of an eye, divine wisdom will take every single one of your problems, every single enemy that has ever come against you, every single issue that you thought was insurmountable, the enemy that has plagued your family for generations. I need to, we need to talk on that some more. The same things that your daddy and his daddy's daddy and his daddy's daddy's daddy struggle with. You're going to lay a rope over those problems and you're going to say, this one, you're going to serve me. You've, you've tormented me long enough. Now you're my servant. These ones, they got to go. That's what divine and supernatural wisdom will do for your life. You become a steward of the will of God. And you step into a situation and you understand exactly what needs to be done to turn back the time and change the effects of all these problems that have been wreaking havoc on your life, on your family's life, on your children's lives. And you will look back at the end of your days and you'll be able to say, I was a steward of the will of God. I had strength of character. Yes, I made mistakes. Yes, I made, I, I, I made some mistakes. I made some poor decisions. I was able to correct those, not through my own ability, but because through wisdom and relationship with God, I was granted the privilege, the opportunity to become a steward of the will of God. As music comes and as you stand right now, I believe there are situations in our lives that we are facing. I believe there are choices that were made many years before we were even around that plague us, that plague our families, that plague our children. And I'm here to tell each and every one of you, 
If you have been baptized in Jesus' name, you repented of your sins. You went down in a watery grave. And you were born of the Spirit. You have been branded with the name of Jesus Christ. You are forever changed. But it gets better. You have access to absolutely limitless resources. And if you will begin to dive into those through prayer and supplication, through reading His Word, through building and developing a relationship with Him, every promise, regardless of how long ago it was originated, has to come under your dominion because you have become a steward of the will of God. And I'm not saying you won't have to face hardships. I'm not saying that sometimes you may have to pay the price There are consequences for some decisions that cannot be avoided. I'm not saying we get to skirt around all those. Pass go, collect 200. But I am saying, when you become a steward of the will of God, the supernatural effects, which are always the most important effects of those decisions, can be reversed. Not by our power. Not by our might. But by His power. And by His might. And by His spirit. And by His word. And by His blood. And by His truth. These altars are open. And I want us to come pray. And diligently seek the face of God. And say God. I want you to make me a steward of your will. I don't want to just seek your blessings and your providence and your hand protecting me. I want to be a steward of your will because I know when I step into that realm, everything else that I could ever possibly desire will follow after me. I want supernatural power for myself, for my family, for my children, for offspring I've never even met and never will meet because they'll come after my time. But I want your will to be perfected in my life.